You can turn over to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. And uh, just want to read for you uh, what we sang actually this morning, the Lord's Prayer, and, and uh, we'll be looking at God's provision through prayer for us today. Beginning in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, that's what we'll be looking at this morning, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's open a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and the provision of it for us, Lord, to, to, to read and to hide in our heart, to meditate upon, to, to search through. And Lord, we thank you that it's so comprehensive. It covers every aspect of living that you desire for us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us a hunger this morning as we open it and see how you provide for us on a daily basis. And uh, Lord, we uh, uh, just thank you for your grace in our lives and and your mercy. Um, Lord, I I just want to pray this morning for um, uh, uh, Matthew Metower, who's uh, decided to go into the army and and we'll be going in, in in August. And and Lord, I'm sure his parents are a little concerned <laughs> over that decision. But Father, you know that you've uh, laid uh, steps before him. And Father, I pray that he would uh, hold on to you. And Lord, we thank you for his willingness to serve our country in this way. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, go before him, protect him, and uh, give him wisdom in all the decisions that he makes and the training that he goes through. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you would... Uh, be glorified in his life. And Father, open your, our hearts now to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, Matthew chapter uh, 6, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we've been looking at different aspects of it. And today, uh, we, we come to basically um, the idea that God provides for our needs. And we want to look at verse 11 where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, the word bread there, it kind of is a simple word, you know, uh, and yet it, it suggests such a profound meaning. And so we want to take a little bit of time and look at that this morning. Uh, but what does he mean when he says, Give us this day our daily bread? A lot of us, I think, here in the United States wouldn't understand that. Uh, It may seem a little bit irrelevant to us as a people because I don't know when's the last time you prayed a prayer and said, Lord, I plead with you to provide a meal for me. I'm just so hungry and I have nothing to eat. The cupboards are bare. I have no money. Lord, please just supernaturally provide. I bet you we'd go around the room and, and maybe if there's one or two at a certain time in their life, that may have happened. But in general, that's not a prayer that we've prayed because we're so provided for. Uh, most of us need to pray a prayer more that says, Lord, help me from eating another meal because <laughs> I need to lose some weight. Uh, that's kind of what our prayer should be. Um, teach me self-discipline in my eating so that I can can, you know, Watch my frame not get any larger than what it already is. Um, we usually have more than enough food for ourselves, I guess the point is. And so a request for food seems a little kind of distant for us. And, um, you know, the last time you were really desperate for getting some food because you were hungry, not just because you wanted it, uh, was probably either a long time ago, maybe you went through a period of time in your life where that was the case, but most of us have not. It would seem like in certain areas of the world that this prayer would be more apt to be prayed, maybe 
in Haiti or Somalia or Af- certain parts of Africa where starvation is just riddled through the population and people die daily because they don't have any food to eat. Um, but here in America, we, we don't see that very often. I'm sure there's, obviously, there's people here in, in certain parts of our country, back east, up in the mountains, things like that, where, where starvation is definitely a problem. But for the most part, generally, our population is well fed. And so it kind of, when we come to this verse, when it says, give us this day our daily bread, that's what we think about. We think about a loaf of bread. We think about something to eat. And when you stop and think about America, there's so much food in America, it's just crazy. As a matter of fact, the other day when we were driving around, to, uh, I took the, Sophia and uh, Mason and we went to uh, Walmart or something. And on the way home, we were going to get a uh, hamburger. So we went through the drive-thru at McDonald's. And um, I got some kind of a, I don't know, a number two, whatever that is, a quarter pounder with cheese, you know. And they got their Happy Meals. And we're pulling out of McDonald's, and I see, whoa, there's an Arby's there. And I haven't had an Arby's in a long time. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and go through the Arby's too. And so I picked up a little, you know, medium roast beef sandwich. And, and, and they're in the back, you know, and they're going, what are we doing? You know, where are you going, Grandpa? I said, well, I'm going through the Arby's. And, you know, why? You already got your hamburger. I said, well, I, I, Grandpa likes Arby's. And, and then he goes, well, are you going to go through Hardee's too? Because there's like a line of things there. And, you know, and I said, well, no. And I said, but that would be fun, wouldn't it? Just take, a, take the two kids and go through each drive through So I started explaining to him, we'll do that before I leave. We'll go through each drive through and you can only buy one thing at each restaurant. And, you know, they were kind of like, oh, you know, Sophia said, we'll be really fat, Grandpa. I said, no, you can only buy one thing. And so it took a little while for that to sink in. And we tried that a couple of days later, and they didn't get it. They ended up with a Happy Meal at uh, uh, McDonald's. You know, they just couldn't make up their mind. They didn't understand the concept. But we have so much food in America. As a matter of fact, uh, somebody did a study, and they said America's corn alone would fill 2 million jumbo hopper cards which would be a train long enough to stretch back and forth across the United States 13 times. That's just amazing. There, there are so many combines that, that harvest this grain that if they could put them wheel to wheel in the state of Iowa, they could do the whole state in one day. Just amazing. I mean, to do that... With humans, it would take 31 million humans using 61 million horses and mules. I mean, we've come to a point in our society where, you know, we have the technology and everything just to create food in an incredible way. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But so when we say, give us this day our daily bread, it just doesn't seem necessary that we should have to pray something like that. A petition for bread doesn't seem to be a major part of our prayer life in America. So what's the application? What's Jesus trying to say here when he says, pray this in this manner, give us this day our daily bread? Try to imagine, is, is, he, is he saying that you, you should try to imagine that you don't have any bread? And, and I don't think he's saying that. You know, that's not, that's not what he's saying. So what's the, the context here? What's he trying to get across? Well, remember, all 28 verses or chapters of Matthew deal with the kingship of Christ. They portray Jesus as the king. And when we focus on chapters 5 and 7, we're looking at basically general principles for his present kingdom. For the, the kingdom that he's setting up, there's some principles that we have to live by. They include there the Sermon on the Mount. He go, went through some principles there, and now he's dealing with the proper pattern for prayer. And we'll deal with fasting a little later on. But in the disciples' prayer are all the necessary ingredients for praying according to how Christ desires us to pray. And we've talked about how it's not something just to be recited. It's something to be modeled after. That's why we call it the disciples' prayer. And, you know, this, when he says here, give us this day our daily bread, it doesn't assume that we don't have any. That's not the assumption here. Christ taught that it's one of the necessary prayer kind of elements for a, a, a proper prayer to be prayed. It's a model prayer. And so when we pray, we should have this in our mind. Are we following this, this modern? There's basically two petitions here, two sections of this prayer, you might say, with, with three petitions in each. 
And we've gone over this. The first section deals with God, and the second section deals with man. The first section deals with petitions, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They all focus on God and his glory when we're talking about prayer. The second section begins in verse 11, and it goes down through the end, and it focuses on man and his need. But even in that, when it says, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, even that glorifies God because of the simple fact that it's God that has to do that. See, the second section isn't a, a, a way that just deals specifically with man's need and it puts God totally aside. It incorporates God within the, man, the, the need of man. And it says, God, you're my only supplier. And God is exalted in the second half of that prayer just as much as he is in the first half. Because it's God who gives us that daily bread. It's God who forgives us our debts. It's God who keeps us and leads us away from temptation. So God's name is hallowed. His kingdom comes. His will be done on earth when he takes care of us. The second half of the prayer brings God into our lives as his creation, as humans. See, a lot of people look at this prayer and they say, okay, well, you've got to do the first three things to butter God up, to get on God's good side before you launch into what you need. That's not, that's not the idea here. And I, I've heard so many Christians have that idea when they, they go to prayer. They feel that, well, you know, you have to do the acts you know, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And it's like, you know, you've got to go through, work through this before you get to this, because if you don't, then God won't really hear your prayer. Well, that's not really true. I mean, you don't want to just barge into God's presence and say, give me this and leave. That would be rather rude to even do for a human. But, you know, when we approach God, don't think that we're buttering God up so that maybe he'll hear us more or that he'll answer our prayer quicker. That's not the perspective that we should have when we come to God in prayer. Really, we're saying here, God, glorify yourself in providing my daily needs, in in forgiving me, and in providing a way away from temptation so that your kingdom can come on earth in my life. That's the idea. And today in our churches, we just have this perverted perspective of prayer. We think that prayer is this thing that we go to God to get what we want. We go there with our list of things, and we demand them from God. There's a teaching within the church today that says, no, you, you don't ask God for anything. You demand it because you're his child and you deserve it. That's blasphemy. That's not correct. That's not what the word of God says. But that's what people teach. But that's not the point of prayer. See, we're to give God the privilege of revealing his glory by meeting our deepest human needs. That's kind of what this is saying. God, you be glorified in my life because you give us our daily breads, because you forgive us, because you lead us not into temptation. We want God to be on display through his provision in our life. And see, today in our culture, that's just not popular. Usually you get to the top because you earned it, you worked it, you you did what was necessary, and it's all you, 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 you. Very seldom do you hear somebody stop and pause and give glory to God for the success in their life. If prayer becomes something that's just self-centered and selfish really in any way, it really ceases to be the kind of prayer that's going to give God any kind of glory at all. And yet many people approach God to get something rather than to allow him to glorify his name through you and through your prayers. We plead with God what we, for what we want, and then when we don't get it, then we have an attitude with him. And we shake our fist at God and we begin to question him. See, instead, we should just allow God the right to choose how he wants to reveal his glory and his majesty in our life and just say, God, whatever you want. Because self-centered prayers in general won't be answered by God. And they usually end up leading us down the path where we begin to question God and then, you know, we fall into serious sin when we get to that. And in our society today, we're the kind of people that want to go up to the the vending machine and put a quarter in and get our candy bar and, and, and that's it. And so when we bring that over, that mentality into Christianity, you know, we have people coming to Christ for what they can get. 
for their felt needs being met. What can Jesus do for me? Then maybe I'll consider this thing called Christianity. They do it with expectation of getting something back. Now you do. Obviously, there's many blessings when you come to Christ as your Lord and Savior. But a lot of people today, they'll hear a, a, a sermon, you know, kind of based on Luke uh, six thirty-eight that says, Give and it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. And they have the slightest idea what that means. But all they know is, hey, if I give, I'm going to get back more. And so that's their pure motivation. That's, that's their only motivation is, is to give to God is to, so that he can give them more back. That's it. I mean, sometimes I feel when we go down and see the grandkids, the only reason they want us to come is what's in the goodie bag? What, what, what goodies do we have? What, what, what gifts do we have for them? I mean, sometimes that's how it feels. And Crystal's constantly correcting them. That's not why they're here. That's not why we're there. We do little to dissuade them in that. But, you know, usually one of our bags is just packed with goodies for them. But see, the Lord will give back. He will do that. But that's not the purpose that we give to him. We're to give so that he can be glorified in our lives and how he responds to our gift. One writer wrote this, if all the testimonies uttered during an annual stewardship drive were to be believed, in other words, they're they're working up money in the church, it says tithing could be commended for its profit and taught as an investment principle in in the business administration courses. If all you heard on these things on TV were true, then why are they asking you for money anyway? Why don't they sell their own money and just have an abundance? You know, it just doesn't add up. There's something wrong there when the focus is just on the money. And see, many of us use prayer as a way to get things rather than as an avenue for God to bring his glory out and re- reveal his glory in our lives. And that's what John 14, 13 says the purpose of prayer is, is to what? To bring glory to God. Now, if you look at those petitions, the three that we're going to look at, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. You can kind of think of them in this way, and I I forgot to put this little chart in your in your thing, I'll put it in there next week. But under give us this day our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11, that deals with our physical life. That deals with what sustains us physically, physical sustenance. And it deals with the present. Give us this day, it says. The second petition there, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, deals with really our our mental life in a lot of ways. It frees us from the anxiety and the pain of all the guilt of sin in our life when we come to Christ to be pardoned. And it really deals with our past. And then the third petition, when he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, deals with the spiritual aspect of our life, and it gives us spiritual direction, and it deals, has a tendency to deal more with our future. See, bread is our physical sustenance. Forgiveness frees us from all that anxiety and pain of guilt that we have because of our sin. And being led from temptation gives us spiritual direction in our life. See, all three of those dimensions are covered here in the second half of this prayer. And everything ultimately is for the glory of God. And that includes prayer. It's not for our glory, but it's for His glory. Whatever we pray for, it's not for our gain, but it's for His glory. Prayer isn't used to badger God to make Him change His mind concerning something we want or something we need or something like that. That's not the purpose of prayer. It's for His glory. David Myers in his book, The Human Puzzle, says this, Some petitionary prayers seem not only to lack faith in the inerrant goodness of God, but also to elevate humankind to a position of control over God. The scriptures remind us God is omniscient and omnipotent, the sovereign ruler of the universe, for Christians to pray as if God were a puppet whose strings they yank with their prayers seems not only potential superstitious, potentially superstitious, but blasphemous as well. When prayer is sold as a device for eliciting health, success, and other favors from the celestial vending machine, we may wonder what is really being merchandised. Is it faith or is it a faith counterfeit? A caricature caricature of true Christianity. You know, it's so important that we understand the purpose of prayer 
J.I. Packer said, The prayer of a Christian is not an attempt to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of the helplessness and the dependence of that Christian. That's what we're dealing with. And so when he says here, talks about bread, he's talking about the basic need of man, not a loaf of bread. It encompasses everything physically that we need for life. And so this morning I want to look at the idea of God's provision and I want to look at the substance. This petition here, give us this day our daily bread, doesn't just refer to a loaf of bread. It's talking about all of our physical necessities, what we need to live I mean, do you ever stop to think that God, the one who created the earth, is concerned about your daily needs? What you need on a daily basis? He's concerned what we have to eat. He's concerned with what we have to wear. He's concerned that we have a place to rest. I mean, the infinite God of the universe is concerned about those things for each and every one of us. That just amazes me. Martin Luther said this, that bread is a symbol in the Lord's Prayer here for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, peace. The word bread refers to the physical necessities of life, not the luxuries. See, we can't use this verse to get somehow squeeze the luxuries of life out of God. What he chooses to give us in terms of luxuries, that's by his grace. But he promises to give us our necessities. In Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee. And say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord in vain. In other words, God, just meet my daily needs. I can be satisfied if you just meet my daily needs. We aren't to be self-seeking. Give me more, more, more. That's our mentality most of the time. But that doesn't honor God. God wants us to be focused on what we need and how he provides for that. This isn't the desperate cry of somebody who's starving, whose stomach is riddled with pain and they have nothing to eat. Lord, give us our daily bread. That's not what it's talking about. It's a promise. It's an affirmation that God will provide our physical needs for any righteous person in any situation in in what encompasses his will. You might be sitting there and you say, well, if God promises to meet my daily needs, then why do I have to pray for it? What's the big deal? If you're saying the Lord will provide for me, why do I need to pray? Why do I need to say, give us this day our daily bread? See, we have to understand that this prayer is a model prayer. And when he's saying things like this, he's using them as an affirmation of what God promises to do for us. It's a way for us to look at God and say, God, thank you for giving us our daily bread. We're saying, God, I want to let you know that I realize that you're the source of my life, my food, my shelter, my clothing, everything. Stop and think about it. Why do you have to ask God to forgive your sin and cleanse your life? when he already promised to forgive your sin and cleanse your life. Because he also said to keep on confessing my sin. If we are faithful and just, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He commands us to do that. Why? It's an affirmation of that forgiveness. When we say, Lord, give me wisdom in in knowing how to go, what direction to go, doesn't the Bible already say that he'll be my guide? If God is your guide, why do you have to ask him to lead you anywhere if he's got you by the hand and he's already doing it? Because it's an affirmation. It's helping you believe that, yeah, he is there for you. When you cry out to God and you say, Lord, hear my prayer, answer my prayer, don't we already know that he has already heard it? He's already knows what we were going to pray before we ever pray it? See, these are affirmations of our confidence in him because it exalts him. We may not have to say here in America, God, please be gracious to me and just give me a loaf of bread for my family tonight. We're all starving and we'll be dead by the morning if we don't have a piece of bread. 
That's not the, the idea here. The idea more is, Lord, everything I have and everything I share with those around me whom I love comes from you. And I am thankful for it. And I'm thankful that you have provided for it with your good and gracious hand. See, Matthew 6, 11 is an affirmation that God is the source of everything. And sometimes we have a hard time getting a grasp of that. God cares about our physical needs. Even when we eat, we're supposed to eat for the what? Glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. How can you eat food for the glory of God? You ever think of that? That's what he's talking about. You can do it when you remember the source of that food. When you pause and you say, Boy, this is an incredible steak. Thank you, God. My daughter's a wonderful cook. We had some great food while we were down there. And, you know, it's, it's just thankful for it. But we have to also look not only at the substance of what, what's going on here, the petition itself, but look at the source of it. You know, you might stop and say, well, you know what? I work hard every day. I earn my own wages. I pay my own way. I do all these things. I, you know what? Whatever you have is by the gracious hand of God. See, that's the attitude that Matthew 6.11 is talking about. It's about acknowledging God as our sovereign provider. Sure, you work hard, but you know what? Who gave you the job? Who allowed you the health to work hard? See, God cares about these little things in our lives. I mean, the Bible even says he knows how many hairs you have on your head. When you wake up tomorrow, you'll have less, and he knows. I mean, he keeps track. The Lord knows He controls everything in this, this world. And for that, we're to be thankful. You know, that's why I, I, it just cracks me up when you run into these people that are, you know, I call them the tree huggers, but, you know, they're just crazy about the environment. And they think, well, we've got to preserve everything. You know, and we live in a day when people, mankind is fearful of dying. Because they're basically going to pollute everything and they're going to ruin all the world's resources and we're afraid of nuclear disaster and, and, you know, a hole in the ozone and, you know, Al Gore and his whole thing. Everything, you know, it's just crazy, crazy, crazy. Everywhere you turn. And we have to come to a conclusion that, you know what, I mean, we shouldn't be a bad steward of what God's entrusted. I'm not saying you go out and pollute just to pollute. We should be a good steward of what God's given us. We want to preserve the beauty around us. But we also have to conclude that, you know what? We can't sustain this world. It's impossible. His son was telling me this morning that, you know, I guess somebody stole a license plate off one of his cars. And he said, you know, every time something like that happens, it helps me realize, you know, the, the brevity of what we have. It could be gone like that. And how our focus shouldn't be on those things. Do you know, according to the book of Revelation, there's going to come a day when God turns out the lights in heaven? They're going to be turned out. The rivers are going to be turned into blood. The sea is going to swallow ships and destroy the fish. The world is going to be devastated. In Revelation 18, we read the world economic system will collapse. It says all music will stop. What do you think of that, Hassan? That's not going to be good. <laughs> Sell those CDs now, brother, because it's going to come a day when you're not going to be able to. But everything will become worthless because there won't be anything left to purchase that is able to preserve life. See, man never considers that if it weren't for God's sustaining power, the world would just literally fall apart. Scientists don't understand that because they, a lot of them don't come from a Christian perspective, a biblical worldview. But scientists, if you sit them down and you talk to them, after all their calculations are done, they say there's something, an unknown element in the universe that makes everything hold together. We don't know what it is, but something does it. Well, Christians, we know what it is. Everything we have is from God. It's Christ, Colossians tells us, that holds everything together. And one day he's just going to say, yeah, I'm tired of holding everything together. I'm going to let go. Watch what happens. 
I'm sure you've heard this illustration. I just like it. But one day a group of scientists got together and they decided that a man had come such a long way and there was no more use for God at all, kind of like the society we live in today. And so they picked one scientist and they told him to, to uh, uh, go face God face-to-face and tell him, you know what, we're done with you. We don't need you anymore. So the scientist walked up to God and he said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. And uh, we're to the point where we can clone people and we can do all these miraculous things. So why don't you just go and get lost? We don't need you. And God, being patient and loving as he is, he listened very patiently and kindly to the man. And after the scientist was done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Let's say we have a little man-making contest. And the scientist replied, okay, great. We got the test tubes, we got the lab, we got everything ready. But God added, now, we're going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. The scientist said, sure, no problem. So the scientist bent down, and he grabbed himself some dirt. God looked down, tapped him on the shoulder, and said, "Uh, sorry, you go get your own dirt. See, sometimes we think more of ourselves than what we should. See, God is the source of everything around us. It's Him who causes things to grow. He causes seasons to change. He produces the the minerals to make the soil fertile. He produces the natural resources that we use to propel ourselves around. He produces the materials from which we make our clothing. God made everything. Our daily bread, the necessities of all physical life, what Jesus is saying here, it comes from God. And so we should always say in our prayers, God, give us this day our daily bread. And we should use that as a way of recognizing him as the provider of all of our physical needs. But what does God provide for us? In Genesis chapter 1, it, it tells us, it says that to the, every beast of the earth, every fowl of the air, he created all of this, every creeping thing, the fruit of the tree, herb-bearing seed, everything. And he said he looked at all that after he was done and he said it was very good. Do you ever think about the variety of foods God's created for us? I mean, God could have very simply said, you know what? You're going to have tofu for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack. It's tofu. That's it. I don't know if you're a big tofu fan, but to me it's just like, it doesn't really have a taste. It's like eating mud or something, you know? I mean, God could have done that. It could have been very bland. I'll never forget when uh, Mae Tomlinson was passing away and, and she was kind of a couple weeks from her demise and, and uh, several people in the church would go over and help her with her meals and stuff. And, and I remember, you know, going over there and trying to cook her some eggs or something in her kitchen. And whatever, I could have I brought her tofu. And, and this lady, when she sat down to eat, I mean, first she prayed and she was so thankful you know, for her food. And then she started eating. And she'd comment, oh, this is so good. I mean, by the time she was done, I wanted to go back and make me a plate of whatever I made. You know, and that's just the way she was. She was so thankful for the food that was set before her. And God has created a variety of food. I mean, he could have made everything gray. But he didn't. There's no two people alike in the world. Can you imagine that? Look at the number of colors, even though some of us can't see all of them, in the world. It's almost unending. It's a great variety in the world we have as well. And God said he created all this for our pleasure, and it was very good. And yet man takes it and he corrupts it. He just takes it and he corrupts it and uses it for his own glory and not for the glory of God. See, when we eat our food, we need to sanctify our food. We need to thank God for our food. That's what what the scriptures say when when it talks about sanctifying whatever we eat. It's just giving God thanks for it and recognizing Him as the source of it. When we receive it, we need to receive it with thanksgiving. Everything we have, you think of the different foods, the grains, the nuts, the vegetables. Some of you are going, ah, I could have kept the vegetables. That's fine. Fruits, meat, 
All sorts of things he created. It's amazing. Are you getting hungry yet? And then you have the dairy products. You know, you got all that stuff. I mean, it, it really is amazing what God has provided for us. But he provides more than just food. He provides clothing for us. I mean, everything we wear comes from God. And you may be sitting there saying, well, you know, I wear polyester. So what? It's made out of petroleum. Guess who created the petroleum? God. Everything we have. God provides food even for the plants and the animals. If he didn't provide food for the plants and the animals, then we couldn't have them for food. We'd run out. See, it's, 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 he's got everything kind of just going in this cycle, and it's him that sustains it. It's a gift from God. We were flying over the, the country yesterday, saw vast areas of just wide open space. Nothing, nobody, nothing down there at all. And yet I'm thinking, you know what? God is providing for this little bug down there that survives in the middle of the desert. That's the kind of God we have. It's just incredible. And the minute we say, well, I earn my own way, I, you know, we need to go to somewhere like Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says that it is God who gives the power to get wealth. See, it's God who gives us power to earn a living. First Chronicles 29, 14 says, All things come from you and are, 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 are your own. I mean, that's the, our perspective. That's what it should be. But we get so caught up with ourselves. That's the, the source of all God's provision. Well, he promises to provide he supplies us with what we need. Um, what right do we have to go to God and ask for daily bread? Is there some principle here that we need to understand? Because God has promised, his, promised to meet our daily needs, right? That's what the word is. If he made that promise, then we have a right to ask him to fulfill it. In Psalm 37, and I wrote some scriptures down there for you, and we're just going to look at a couple of them. But Psalm 37, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good, verse 3. That's pretty simple, right? That kind of encompasses the whole significance of salvation. That tells us why we exist. Trust in the Lord and do good. When we believe God, the result is good works. James 2.26 says that faith without works is what? Dead. All right? So simply saying, trust in the Lord and do good is kind of summing up all of the doctrine of salvation. That's what salvation is about. Well, what promise is extended to those who believe in that? That trusting in the Lord and, 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 and doing good. Psalm 37, 3, it continues. So shalt you dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. God will always provide for the righteous. He will always provide. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says that we are not to give grudgingly or of necessity, for God uh, loves a cheerful giver. See, when we sow, not sparingly, but bountifully, as a result, God will, it says, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed and increase the fruits of your righteousness. When you invest in God's kingdom, he will not only provide spiritual fruit, but also bread for food. That's God's physical provision for us. But he also, that's a word to the righteous, he also gives a warning to the wicked. In Psalm 37, it continues. Down in verse 5 to 6, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, commit your way unto the Lord. Verse 7 to 9, it says, Rest in the Lord, cease from anger, forsake wrath, for evildoers shall what? Be cut off. Verse 13 says, The wicked of the wicked, the Lord shall laugh at them, for he sees that his day is coming. And in verses 18 and 19, David writes, The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be what? Satisfied. See, if there's ever a time to live righteously, it's today. Because God promises to provide. Verse 20 continues, it says, The wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be like the fat of lambs. I don't know if you know anything about the fat of lambs, but basically it, it just totally just burns very quickly. 
And that's kind of what he's saying there. It, they will be totally consumed. Proverbs fifteen seventeen says, Better is dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therein. See, when our relationship with God is right, our food doesn't have to be fancy because we recognize it as coming from his hand. And it goes on there and it talks and there's, there's other scriptures there. But you stop and you ask, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're really affirming that God will do that. He will provide for us on a daily basis. Some people say, well, don't you think the world will run out of food? There was an article and uh, it said, in India, men forsake their wives and their children just to find food. Families commit suicide together. Mothers, I don't know when this was, 71, so this is dated, but mothers throw their babies into the swirling waters of the Ganges River as a sacrifice to their gods because they think that there is more religious virtue in having them die as a sacrifice than from malnutrition. But even with all the famine and starving people in the world, the issue isn't whether the earth can provide enough food. Former Prime Minister Indira Gandhi said that there's, there are enough resources in India to feed the entire nation and feed others besides. Some people think we can't think the world can't produce enough food for mankind, but that's not true. Uh, it's, it's interesting. This article goes on to say that you could take the world's population and fit them, this is hard to believe, in the entire state of Montana. That's, I mean, I know Montana's big, but I know it's that big. Only about 15% of harvest, harvestable land is used today. I mean, you know, it's not a question of whether there's a lack of resources. It's a question of whether the people have used the resources wisely. And in some societies, unfortunately, they haven't. But God's word over and over again affirms that he will provide for us. In Matthew 7, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, verse 7, it says, Ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. Now, there's kind of a verse tied to the idea of of the coming to Christ and asking for salvation. But you're getting a better understanding of it when you look at verses 8 to 11. It says, For everyone who asks uh, receives, and everyone uh, that is scoffed, that finds, knocks, finds, and everything who knocks, it's open. Or what is man of, is there of you whom, if his son asks bread, he would not give him a stone? Okay? Or if he asked a fish, would he give him a serpent? Talking about the father-son relationship. And then he goes, if you then being evil, how and give good gifts to your children, how more so will your father give good gifts to him who asks? See, good things, Jesus used in that illustration. He used bread, he used meat. God is concerned with the basic necessities of life. And I think that's kind of what we need to understand. We look at America and we see all this prosperity. Well, you know what? This country was land founded basically on Christian principles. You know, we've gotten away from that. But I think we're living from off the benefits of those Christian principles even today. Unfortunately, today we've kind of gone upside down. And we're seeing the effect. We're no longer leader in some of the ways that we've, we've led in the world before. But you, cons- you consider the, the prosperity of America to the poverty that you see in some parts of India. It's amazing. And it's their whole, whole religious system is set up basically on, on Hinduism. And it's basically a, a, you know, a false religion. And the view of man is low. And it's not seen as someone who's created in God's image. And matter of fact, in the Hindu religion, they believe that all their gods are sinful. Six out of ten people in Calcutta live on the streets without food, shelter, or adequate clothing. Millions of people die every year. Millions of people are born every year. And yet they still deal with all these things. And it's not so much the resources. They have the resources. Someone wrote there about... 330 million deities, gods, in India. The one supreme deity is known by three names, depending on how he manifests himself. Vishnu, Brahma, or Shiva. 
And those gods are personified, personified in the cows of India. And they believe that cows are incarnate gods. That's where you get the idea, you know, you've ever heard the sacred cow. Well, that's where it comes from. Everything that comes from a cow is considered sacred, including the dung and the urine even. And to kill a cow is thought to be worse than cannibalism. It's interesting because a study was done. They say cows eat about 20% of India's food supply. And you know what? The cows live really long because they won't kill them. Even when they stop giving milk, they, they basically put them in rest homes and they care for them. Every cow eats enough food to feed seven people. And there are about 200 million cows in India. Altogether, the cows eat enough food to feed uh, more than one billion people. If none of the, uh, of the food produced in India were given to those cows, there would be enough food not only for the people living in India, but also for the continents of Antarctica, Australia, Africa, and Europe. And then you have the problem of the mice. About 15% of the food supply in India is eaten by mice, which they won't kill because they're afraid that they might be killing somebody who's in a stage of reincarnation. They believe that's how people attain salvation. You die and you come back as something else. And so you would never kill something because you could be kind of messing with their, uh, uh, their class system and all that stuff, reincarnation cycle. And so you see when you have a, a skewed perspective of who God is, how it can really mess things up. And it even... In a lot of places, the, the social effects of that whole belief system is beyond our belief. Because you, if you see a, a person on the street who's, who's hungry and destitute, basically you look at them and their religious mindset and say, well, they're there because that's, that's it for them. They're at that level in their reincarnation cycle and, you know, you don't want to kind of mess around with that. So you don't feed them. A typical Hindu response to a beggar is, I wonder what you did to receive this. (laughs) I hope you can work out the situation. That's kind of what they think because everybody's in this process of reincarnation. And so we see that we have this supply that God has so richly supplied for us and yet sometimes we forget and we get our focus on wrong things. That's why Colossians 3.2 says, you know what? Set your affection on what? Things above, not on things on the earth. See, God wants us to acknowledge Him as the source of all provision. And when we do that, He'll bless us as a people, as a nation. Well, who are these people that are seeking this daily bread? You notice there in Matthew, it doesn't, says, it doesn't say give me my daily bread, does it? It says what? Give us our daily bread. See, it's, it's those in Christ's church, and we're not isolated from one another. This is a good lesson for us to learn as God's people. It embodies really the whole Christian community. When we pray a prayer like this, it's not a selfish prayer. It's not give me It's not forgive me. It's not lead me. It's lead us. Forgive us. Give us. That's what the scripture says. We should never allow someone to go want within the body of Christ. Grace should always be practiced in those situations. We should always reach out to them. The poor are always going to be with you, the Bible says. You're not going to change that. But when it comes to the body of Christ, we definitely have to be diligent about caring for those God places under our control, under our care. You notice the schedule. It's this day. God will provide enough bread for each day, um, one day at a time. And that's how we should look at it. You know, sometimes we get so caught up with, 
you know, this whole whole society gets focused on the aspect of retirement and all this stuff and everything is working for this one day when you can finally walk into your boss and say, I retire, I quit, I reach the magical age and now the government's going to help me and you're going to help me and I'm just going to do nothing. God, that's not a biblical concept. I'm sorry. You don't see it in Scripture. Does that mean we, if, if it's allowed for you, you shouldn't do it? No. But I see so many people, beloved, that's the focus of their whole life. And trust me, I've seen enough, especially police officers, they get to that magical age where they got the pension, they're getting paid 100% of their salary, and they got you know perks coming out their ears. And a year later, they're going to their funeral. And they've crimped and they've saved for this life that they're going to have after they retire, and they're dead. God doesn't want us to live that way. He he wants us to focus on something beyond that. Am I saying you shouldn't plan and you shouldn't, you know, no, I'm not. The Bible has principles for that. But don't get so bogged down in the physical necessities that it takes away from the spiritual aspect of our lives. And I'll tell you what, a majority of the church is right there. They're so caught up with the physical things in our life that the spiritual maybe just kind of, Squeeze a little time out of us. Because we're working so many hours and we're doing so many other things other than what Christ calls us to do. We're on this committee and that committee and this thing and that thing. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. And God has gifted us in certain ways. And we're really not being a good steward of what he's gifted us with because we're not using it for his glory. We're using it for this world. And we need to pause and we need to repent and we need to say, God, forgive me. Get me back on the right track. Let me do things for your glory. Let me put things in perspective. And I need your help to do that because I'm surrounded with people that are totally going the other direction. God wants to provide for us, beloved. He wants to. And he does faithfully, day in and day out. And for that, we should be thankful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come to this place this morning. Father, and I, maybe some of us are a little hungry because we didn't eat breakfast, but I'm sure we had something to eat within the last 24 hours. And Lord, it's hard to relate to areas of the world where people have maybe not eaten anything in 48 hours or 72 hours and are on the verge of death because they haven't eaten anything. Lord, we cannot relate to that. But Lord, one thing we can relate to is that you promise to meet our daily needs. You promise to give us our daily bread. And Lord, that may be in physical sustenance. That may be providing for us spiritually each day. Lord, you continually provide forgiveness when we fail you. You continually provide us, or continue to surround us in your mercy and your grace. Lord, you continue to heap your love upon us even though we don't deserve it. Father, we thank you for these things. And we ask that you will continue to provide not just so that we can have more, but that your name could be glorified in our lives, that we would give you glory, that we would look at our schedule, we would look at our our priorities and say, God, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing what you want us to do? Or are we misusing our gifts and our talents for this?